welcome to the Nerd Party. Welcome to Great Shot Kid, the podcast on the Nerd Party Network that looks at the inspirational, aspirational, and motivational side of Star Wars creators and non-Star Wars creators, even if they're related to the universe. And I am John. And I'm Mike. And this week we have uh, something very special, a response to last week's uh, interview of Mike about his love for Star Wars The Last Jedi. He is going to be interviewing me about my love for Star Wars Episode Three: Revenge of the Sith. Before we get to that, of course, thenerdparty.com slash contact if you want to go to the website and reach out to us or any of the shows on The Nerd Party. You can reach out to us on Twitter at JoinNerdParty. On Instagram, The Nerd Party, Facebook.com slash The Nerd Party. All we ask is that you go ahead and use the hashtag GreatShotKid to let us know that you're talking about us. And uh, we would love to interact with you. So, all of that out of the way now. I'm going to uh, cede the chair here and move over to the other side of the uh, the Great Shot Kid studio interview table. And uh, open the floor. Again, this is a response, I guess, to I put you on the hot seat about Star Wars Episode Eight, The Last Jedi last week and talked about how your love for it, how you got to five stars, all of those sorts of things. And so it's my go around to, as Madonna might sing, justify my love. So with that. Yeah. Okay. So, I mean, this is something which I've always found to be fascinating is your love for Star Wars Episode Three: Revenge of the Sith, you know, and it's one of those things where if you were to say, and as you have said, like, I love Star Wars Episode Three: Revenge of the Sith. My response is, you know, okay, I, uh, that does not surprise me, you know, but there are, I guess, the the depths of your love is what I find to be so fascinating about this. So my first question to you is, without comparing it to any other movie, especially another Star Wars movie, tell me why you love Episode 3. Plainly, without bringing in comparisons to anything else, I would say that it is simply the fact that I find the story, the journey, and the visuals incredibly compelling. Uh, the fact that it is a Star Wars movie is a bonus. I would love this movie, I think, regardless of whether it was a standalone or part of another franchise. I think this thing is pure opera. It sings, and I love every note in it. Okay, prior to the release of episode one, what were your Star Wars rankings? Uh, the original trilogy. I uh, have always had a very special affinity to Return of the Jedi, and uh, episode five, The Empire Strikes Back. I, I mean, my favorite would rotate depending on where I was and how I felt. So, you know, one year it would be Empire, one year it would be Jedi. But sometime around the the early to mid nineties, my opinion of Jedi became a lot stronger. And I, I have basically stuck with that as my favorite of the original trilogy ever since. So now you obviously grew up with star Wars and and had like this, this deep love for star Wars, like all of us. It's in my bones. It is absolutely in my bones. Yes. 
So when episode one comes out, uh, your anticipation level, I imagine, just like the rest of us, is very, very high. Slept on a sidewalk to buy tickets, yes. Okay. Mm -hmm. So you see the movie. You see episode one. And what's your initial reaction? I was overwhelmed. It was bizarre because it was a midnight movie. I was tired. I'd worked that day. But I remember being energized by it. I remember being uh, thrown off by some of the my expectations that were subverted. Uh, and I remember, actually, the, the girl I was dating at the time was not a big Star Wars fan. I'll never forget uh, sitting there, you know, holding hands because, you know, yeah, you're going with your girl and, you know, you're holding hands and everything. I'll never forget that moment when the hangar bay doors opened and Duel the Fates struck up and Darth Maul was standing there. I remember her squeezing my hand a little bit harder. And I was like, yeah, all right. Um, but I also remember coming out and going through the parking lot and there were people already saying, yeah, I liked it, but I think I have to see it again. So, you know, it had already started, as it were, by that point. Because I saw the people I'd camped out for, you know, midnight showing tickets with. And I was like, oh, hey, you, hey, you know, what'd you think? And, and stuff like that. And found myself uh, quickly over time standing on an island that I expected to be far more populated than than just where old John was standing, <laughs> insisting I, what, why are you guys being so mean? What What's going on? So... So, okay, because like this is this is an interesting thing. Like I had a similar experience in that, you know, I saw the movie and I loved it, right? But even while I was watching it, there were like certain things, like the very first scene where I was like, this isn't exactly what I was expecting. Like I was thinking this was going to be a bit more witty, you know, a bit more casual, you know, kind of like the original trilogy. And, you know, yeah, I, I still loved it, but, like, I remember, you know, there was, like, one or two guys at the same, you know, type of screening who were like, uh, oh, that movie sucked, guys. You, that movie sucked. And, you know, I think the general reaction, you know, amongst me and, and you know, other people were like, what's wrong with you? You're just too cool for school, you know? And then I went to school and then there were, you know, the people there, all the art students who are like, that's not a real movie. Oh, that's garbage, you know? And, and my reaction to that was kind of like, what's wrong with you? And then as, you know, the, the, the opinions and everything started, you know, coming in and, and people started seeing it more often and, and everything like that, it, it really did turn and I think what a lot of people experienced, and surely, I mean, I'd, I'd say what, what I experienced too, to a certain degree, was this idea of we grew up with Star Wars. It's in our bones, like you're saying. And, you know, there, there's, there's an initial reaction there where it's like, it can't be bad because it's Star Wars, right? Like, we're, we're almost, we almost have blinders on. So at no point did you experience that. No, I, I episode one, I've always been freely critical of certain things where I was like, this took too long to cut you know, the camera lingers or, you know, this, this would have been better. I there, I still know that I'm not insane. And in the Blu-ray, there are certain alternate takes work like blended in 
and certain cuts that are are quicker uh, and yeah. that flow better than the theatrical version. And I think that um, there are definitely things that to this day I'm still critical about. Like even at the time where I was like, did did the thing really have to fart during that big majestic pod race flag thing? Like you started to feel this like real thing and then there's a fart and it's like, yeah, this was not well placed, <laughs> you know? Mm-hmm. Okay. That, that so, sort of thing. So uh, I, I think one thing which, you know, maybe was off putting to a lot of people, whether or not it's, it's a, a bad thing or a good thing, but stylistically very different from the original trilogy. You know, and I think like stylistically, something that people really responded to with the original trilogy was the style. And now you've got a different style here. Like that was never a problem for you or or did you no. prefer the new style or, or what's the deal with that? Well, I mean, with episode one, it was never a question of like preferring one style over the other. It simply was this was a different style. Like I, I just I I just saw it as this was Star Wars is big and I'm probably this is probably something Lucas himself said, this is the big historical costume drama epic. And I, even back then, looked at it as, okay, well, the world he's building here at this point in the history looks more like the THX world that he was working in. So you could see the sterile environment, the lack of passion, the the sort of, you know, stilted society that was going on, the end of the Gilded Age, and I, I guess I just responded well to that. And I mean, and like everybody else, you know, heaped praise on the whole Darth Maul thing because it was just, wow, look at all of those lightsabers flying everywhere. That's insane. We've never seen anything like that before. Okay, so summer of 99 ends. Now you're left with four Star Wars movies. Where do you, where, where, where are your rankings at at this point in time? Uh, episode four was number four. Okay. I, I don't have a problem admitting that i mean it, it, seriously I, I considered it sort of splitting hairs still kind of do to this day because you know my opinion of each one changes but uh, you know episode one was different and it was not what the originals were so i'd definitely say that in summer 99 I, I liked it i really liked it a lot but you know i still preferred the originals sure okay all right so episode two comes out and you like that too very much so and i think episode one yes i did I liked episode two more than episode one. Uh, I remember seeing the midnight showing for that as well. And the thing is, this is a bit of a cheat. But, you know, everybody likes to say that uh, maybe I'm being harsh on The Last Jedi's structures because of X, Y, and Z. I I don't agree about that. But anyway, um, one of the things I responded to was the difference between 1999 and 2002 is my mom had died rather sadly and tragically and um the scene with Anakin and his mother to this day actually uh it was the first time I had in a number of years cried in public because it was very familiar like I there was a very similar moment between me and my mother and I think because of that scene, because of Anakin's reaction, because of his conversation with Padme, that film has always resonated very deeply with me because, you know, I understood Anakin's point of view of like, hey, everything's supposed to be special and wonderful and I'm just getting to be an adult and it sucks. What the hell? You know, and so I think there was very much, um, you know, I I think that there are some really beautiful uh, themes explored in episode two. And I know people 
harp on the digital stuff, but I loved the way it looked. I thought it, I just, I don't care how they put the shots together or how they do the effects. It looked cool, man. And Yoda coming in with the, the lightsaber? Come on. You know, like, again, I, I just thought there was so much to love about it. Okay. So, uh, yeah, I mean, just what are your rankings at this point? Where, where, where's episode two? Episode two by this point was, had probably jockeyed in to, I'd say probably just below Empire. So I still had like Jedi and Empire ahead of it, but it so, so jockeyed better in. The, better than the original. Yeah, I liked it more. Um, okay. Probably just because I, I, you know, people have a field day with this soundbite, but I think I just identified with Anakin more than I did with Luke at that stage in his life. <laughs> okay. So, All right. You know. All right. That's fair. And, you know, I mean, you, you were the one who brought up, you know, the, the whole like structural issues with episode eight or whatever. You, you didn't have any problems with, you know, m- some perhaps structural issues with episode two. No, not really. Okay. I All right. I didn't. I, I mean, episode two, I remember that first showing. And I, I mean, I went to Star Wars Celebration too, so I'd seen some clips and stuff like that. But I just remember like Obi-Wan walking on Kamino. Like that was just breathtaking for me when he, him walking through the, the thing and interacting with Lama Sue and the fight with Jango Fett. Like I was and still am with episode two transported where I was just wowed. Are, you know, are there things that um, could be cleaned up? Yeah, I, I think that the uh, the speeder chase in the beginning on Coruscant, somewhat extraneous, could have been cut in half. Um, but, you know, it's sort of like, yeah, that was sort of, I, I thought that was sort of nitpicky. Um, but yeah, I didn't have any real issues with it. Okay. All right. So there's already some blending of the trilogies going on at this point. Indeed. Um, okay. And, and and we get so now we're getting into episode three, right? Okay. Yes. So, I mean, you've already talked about how how, how you, you like this movie, regardless of you know the franchise or anything like that. Um, but I mean, I'm guessing that considering how big of a Star Wars fan you are, a lot of the things which you said about episode three would apply to the other movies, you know, in the original trilogy in particular. I'm guessing. Yeah. Yes. You know, I, mm-hmm. I mean, it's, um, yeah, like, I. how do you mean? Like, a lot of the things I said about episode three. About, you know, it, 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 your love for the story, your love for the visuals, you know, all that stuff. Oh, yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Okay. So, what is it? Well, I mean, I guess I'll start with this question. Where Where do you rank episode three? Uh, amongst the first six movies. Top. Absolute top of the heap. Has been since the first time I saw it. Absolutely okay. adore episode three. I think I think it is, I think it's the best thing George Lucas ever did. And I okay. uh, think it's absolutely brilliant. Loved it. I, you know, I'll, I'll share the story of seeing it for the first time. I think I've, I'm sure I've mentioned this somewhere else before, but I was actually in Louisville, Kentucky for a business trip. And still managed to go to the midnight showing when it was released. I skipped functions at work. I made up. I was like, no, I got um, not feeling so hot. I got a headache. I have to go to the bat factory. <laughs> right. And uh, uh, my wife actually flew into town specifically to go see the midnight showing with me. 
Um, and we actually had a guy from the CVB, the Convention Visitors Bureau, took us out to dinner and went with us. Um, oh, nice. Because, of course, you know, the, my wife is a meeting planner, so anybody with a CVB finds out she's coming into town. They're like, oh, yeah, well, we'll take you out to dinner and we'll do everything. <laughs> I felt kind of bad for the guy because he's coming along to a midnight showing and like I, I tried to gauge his interest level and he was like, I like Star Wars. I like the Star Wars. And so it was like, oh man, dude, you are up late. You are working hard for this sale. Good for you. Um, but yeah, that was, uh, I'll, I'll never forget that. That was, uh, that was major brownie points uh, for my wife that she flew down to Louisville just to catch the midnight show. Cause we weren't together uh, in the first two. Um, so we were, we were married and, and, settled in and everything so this was you know it was a nice nice loyalty show there from her okay so i guess that's kind of a question which i don't know whether or not this does apply but i mean i've certainly had movies where this this type of thing applies but how much of your love for the movie is colored by that first viewing not by a way the, the external experience the mm-hmm. uh you know, seeing it with your wife and, and all that good stuff. Valid question. And the answer is not at all. Uh, once the film started, I could have been sitting in that movie theater alone. I was transported there. there and I, I have freely admitted as well that knowing it was the end of the line. It was difficult when the force, you know, when the Disney sale and there was going to be more episodes that was disorienting because episode three was in a very large sense. I went into it. I was like, this is, this is it. This is the end of all of that. It's not, this is done. I'm finished with this. We've both grown up and you know, goodbye, old friend. I've loved you and I will continue to love you, but we're ready to, to go forward now. And um, so when the movie first started, um, I actually, you know, got a little teary because I was like, this this is the last time I'm going to see this for the first time, this title crawl. And then it, and then at the end, I, w- I actually cried because I was just moved by the story. Yeah, I mean, I, I had a similar reaction. You know, I have to say I was definitely like super hyped for it, like to the point of <laughs> like um, I was a projectionist at the time and um uh, one of our sister theaters was doing the trade screening f- of, of the show for like, uh, you know, basically theater owners and bookers and stuff like that. They could come and see it. And um, my I, I was very friendly with our, our technician who was in charge of making sure that everything was going to go smoothly for this screening. And I was like, I like they, this was and this is something which was never done. You know, it was such a big deal that they were actually going to screen it in advance to make sure that everything was okay, right? Digital and all this stuff. Uh, And, you know, they sent someone out from THX to, you know, make sure that everything was good and all this stuff. And I was, like, talking to my tech, and I'm like, I I don't know how or whatever, but anyway, you can get me into that screening. I would love to do, you know, I want to see that. And he's like, well, I, I could use some help. So if you want to come the day before and help me, you know, get everything ready, then, you know, you're there, you know, you can watch it. 
So I'm like, okay, I'm there. And literally, like, and because there were like some massive sound issues and we had to rewire the entire sound rack, like I was literally at this theater for 24 hours before I saw the movie, right? And, <laughs> oh, wow. But like I was so into it that like I even like because like we're waiting for the hard drive. It's coming via FedEx, you know, and then, you know, they're like stand outside. Like that was my job, like stand outside and wait for the FedEx guy to show up, you know, and like FedEx guy shows up, you know, they open up the box and there's the hard drive inside and they toss the box off to the side. And I was like, uh, I was like the kid in, in Almost Famous. I'm like. I'm just going to take this box, this random FedEx box, <laughs> you know, and, yeah. and I still have yeah. it to this day. I'm like, this is the box. And like, there'll be so many times where like people come over. I'm like, this is the box that the hard drive for episode three came in. You know, that's how into it I was because like you're saying, I knew this was the last time. Right. And it, it was, it was a really big deal for me too. And when I came out of the theater absolutely loving the movie, putting it number one on my top 10 for that year and everything like that. Like, I think a lot of that was because it's like, this is the end. The circle is now complete, you know, all this other stuff. And I'm looking at it through that lens, the same way that I looked at episode one is like, this is the first time that this has happened in 16 years. You know, it's, it's a huge deal. Same thing with episode seven. So, you know, once I, you know, had a chance to step back from it and look at it a bit more objectively, my opinion, I think naturally, you know, softened a bit. But that doesn't seem to have happened with you. And I think this is the thing that which I find so fascinating, right? Like, it goes into all of that stuff. Like, you grew up with the original trilogy, so you're predisposed to loving that, right? Just like I'm predisposed to loving the original trilogy and everyone else who grew up with it. I'm not expecting my cousins who grew up with the prequel trilogy to love the original trilogy as much as we do. I'm expecting them to have you know a soft spot for things like episode one you hear people talk about how episode one is their favorite and and i think that's because they were kids you know that's their star wars essentially same thing's going to happen with episode seven you know and then there's the whole like well it's new and it's awesome so maybe it's the best and that's something which i think also kind of wears off over time right but i find it absolutely fascinating that neither of those things have essentially colored your opinion of this like yeah what is it that makes episode three the best star wars in history uh the fact that it is in essence an incredibly personal statement from an artist that and, uh, you know, again, have a field day with this. I'm not going to go into, you know, quite so much detail about this or that. But I, I've i always said that I, I got what he was saying. And not just on a sense of, like, I, I don't even watch it in terms of, like, oh, well, this is Anakin's turn to the dark side. And this is where this needs to happen. And this is the story beat that the story group said needs to be in this film because it's going to tie it. This is an incredibly personal film 
with a main character that goes through a really difficult series of mistakes. And I find so much sympathy for him. And I find that there is a bit of him in me in terms of his, you know, I'm not the same person now that I was then, but I could see a very specific message of, you know, and Lucas himself called this out. You can't control everything. Life's not going to go the way you think that it's going to go. You're going to make bad decisions. You're going to make mistakes. How you deal with those is going to determine who you are. And when you add on top of all of that, uh, the fact that there are these incredible visuals, like that opening shot, I could watch that opening shot on a loop over and over again of panning down to the Star Destroyer coming uh, above the top of the planet, tracking down with the Jedi Starfighters, then flying over, the music swelling, them turning around, diving down and revealing this huge battle going on. I still get chills watching that. I remember watching that in the movie theater several times and just every single time wanting to like shout at the projectionist, stop the film and replay that. Like I was so in love with it. The battle... The, the fact that there is this sword fight with no dialogue happening in it, but conveying all of this conflicted emotion between the two characters, just down to the, the, the minor point that you have teacher and student fighting each other, and at one point they go for the exact same move to try to beat the other one. And it's this beautiful moment where you, you understand all of their history in one shot that they would do this same thing at the same time, that you have this guy who has this wonderful life in a great sense, but it's not enough for him, and he doesn't understand why he's not satisfied. Like, all of these things are incredible and beautiful, and then, over the years, figuring out with the the whole prequel trilogy, and I don't know George Lucas personally, but the the read that I have on the whole thing now And what makes sense to me now is it's basically THX American Graffiti and the original Star Wars all over again. And, you you know, you have the cold calculating world of THX and then that grows into the devil may care. I'm super cool and I'm sort of trying to cope with the idea that I have to grow up in, you know, in episode two in American Graffiti. And then you have, it's this swashbuckling thing, but there's this dramatic weight to episode three that serves as this beautiful counterpoint to a new hope that expands the emotional understanding of what's happening. And I also think that there are moments in it that are so sublimely abstract. And the fact that the visuals are so incredible that it literally is a silent movie. Like you can turn it off and play the score with it and it's gorgeous and wonderful and just a supreme exercise of somebody in complete control of their craft. And that, I think, you know, I know I'm rambling, but that, I hope that provides an, ad- an adequate explanation for my love for episode three. Okay, yeah. That's an interesting read about the two trilogies, I guess, the two Lucas trilogies. I, I hadn't uh, ever thought about that, but that's, I'm, that's I'm telling you, man, it's there. And you add in the fact that episode three, in a sense, winds up being him in 
I guess, an indirect way, uh, sending a little apology note to Marsha saying, yeah, maybe I was a little at fault with things that were going on at the time. I get it. Like, I, I think that, and you know, and the fact that you have an artist making a, uh, you know, a statement about feeling trapped by his own success, you know, like it's amazing because the, the, the prequel trilogy and, and, and revenge of the Sith in specific, like you mirror that to the original trilogy and you have, you have this tone poem. Yes. They, they, they repeat each other. But you also see an artist at two different stages in his life and how life has changed how he sees things. And I, I think that's beautiful, too. Okay, so in talking about episode eight, you know, one of the things which you brought, one of the first things that you brought up was like, you know, there's some things in here which don't make any sense. Like you brought up the whole thing like, you know, why didn't, you know, uh, Laura Dern tell Oscar Isaac about, you know, her plan? It just, it, it doesn't make any sense, right? Correct. Now, you, you, you could say, and many people have said, that there are a number of moments like that in episode three, right? There's also a number of things in there as someone who's a fan of sort of like the canon on the whole. There's a number of things which sort of, blatantly contradict what has been established in previous movies. So I guess I'm wondering, do those things bother you? Uh, or are there are they things which, which you're just willing to overlook because everything else about this movie is so great? Or, or, or what, what's the deal with that? How can you reconcile that? Well, for anything that you're talking about that, that would rival the Haldo thing in episode eight, I'd I'd want a specific example because I don't think that you can have like a a blanket thing but I think the definitely the easiest response to any of that is that the whole is greater than the sum of its parts. Can I drill in and look at it and say, "Ah, eh, this R2D2 thing is sort of self-indulgent?" Sure I can. Absolutely. The R2D2 fighting the droids thing is is silly and eh okay, I I can live without it. But at the same time, doesn't wreck anything. Takes an you know an extra minute out of my life in the movie. That's fine. You know, like it, it it's not R2 doesn't hide anything from anybody. He just has a funny little escapade in the first reel. Okay. Oh, that's fine. I got and no you don't think that. that that's like distracting like the the space horses in episode 8? It doesn't take away from the overall Is it an entire subplot that takes up a third of the film? Okay. Or it, or is it a self-indulgent two minutes of a director saying, yeah, I, I think this is the last one I'm going to do. And, and he even said in the commentary track, I'm a bit, he said, people told me to take this out, but I'm a big R2-D2 fan. So okay. I left it in. Like so there, there's, a, there's a big difference between flying to a casino planet, not meeting the character you're going to meet, ending up with a character who coincidentally can help you while you're freeing these space horses from a stable and he can do the thing that you were going to meet the per like there there's a whole other thing there and whereas R2 is like hey you got 2 minutes of a droid being silly that's way different to me okay so speaking of a droid being silly i know one of the things which you were critical of with episode 8 was the humor do you find yes do you find episode three to be funnier than episode eight? No. Or do you find um, the 
the humor to be more in keeping with the story which is being told? Yes, I do. There's no, there's nobody stepping in Bantha Pudu. There's no Eopi farting uh, during the the flag presentation. Uh, like, and the humor actually in the in the course of the film gets less and less as it goes. Like, it starts draining the way that it's draining from Anakin's life. It gets more and more serious as it goes along. Did you laugh at anything in episode three? Yeah. Like out loud. I I don't know that I laugh at anything in these movies. I'm not sitting there like Max Cady going like, ah, with the big (laughs) cigar or anything like that. Yeah. Um, I don't think that there's any moment in the original six where I'm slapping my knee like, ah, that's so funny. But yeah, there are things that, Got a chuckle out of me. Okay. I, I love I love the battle droids. I mean, that's my dad and me coming out, I'm sure. But like I, I remember even all the way back to episode one, my dad and me, Keen, oh, Roger, Roger. Like we you know, it's just silly humor. That's fine. Right. It's not it's not saying I'm calling for general hugs with something about his mom, I'll hold. There's two different two different veins there. If you're gonna bring in the con- comparison there. Okay. All right. So uh, I've done something here, uh, and, and this is going to be kind of a lightning round thing, where I want to get your your uh, reaction to these. You know, whether I mean, okay, some cool. You might, some you might agree with, some you might not. But I've I've used the good old Rotten Tomatoes for I think uh, <laughs> an interesting uh, effect, and I've okay. pulled out a few of their poll quotes uh-huh. from some reviews. Okay. Uh, Granted, I'm going to say right up front, these are all negative reviews. And the, and the movie, on the whole, it's, it's I think it's certified fresh regardless. It's got a it's positive It's 80%, per, 80% aggregate positive yeah. on Rotten Tomatoes from the critics. So these are these are some critics who didn't like it, okay? And I'm just going to read off you know these little one-line things, and I want you to respond, okay? Okay. It's soon be, oh, this is from Philippa Hawker at The Age. Um, it soon becomes obvious that there is no avoiding the burden of predictability. There is nothing, essentially, in the film story that we don't know already. Yeah. You ever, you ever uh, read the Oedipus tales? You know, the, the, those plays from, from Greek mythology? Or did you ever read the Norse mythos? There's a whole lot of predictability in those things. So? Okay. I think I think it's more kind of getting into the idea of like why do a prequel okay why do a sequel why do a prequel why do a anything okay right mm-hmm. like i i just because you know the outcome doesn't mean you know every step to get there okay then let me throw out this one to you this is from widget walls on uh, needcoffee.com he says what this film really accomplishes is it gives us insight into these characters that lessens their effectiveness in later episodes. That's insane. I, I don't see that at all. I don't see that at all. And I always point to, I always point to the fact that I had a friend that I worked with who had not seen the prequels and they were already out on, uh, on DVD. So I said, you know what? I'm going to show them to you. We're going to watch all six, not in a row. We watched like, you know, one one day, one the other day, you know, that that sort of thing. And I remember her saying after watching episode four, specifically saying, wow, that that Obi-Wan and Darth Vader fight, that really has more depth. She cried at the end of episode three. And then she mentioned immediately 
after episode four, how the Obi-Wan and Anakin fight in episode four had so much more depth for her. So I, I mean, you know, if we're going to use anecdotal quotes there, you know, there you go. Okay. So what did she say when you got to the end of episode five and Darth Vader said, no, I'm your father. What, what does that spoil? Well, like a huge freaking reveal. I mean, okay. I mean, I think that that's a, that's a clear case of what this person's talking about. So and something pr- which a lot of people have debated for years, like twelve years. I, I, I see. You know, the the thing is, Star Wars Insider did all of the legwork for this years ago about how it changes the read of this and that. All I will say is that. Everybody has the choice of how they want to show. You have the machete order. You have, I'm going to show this and then that, and then I'm going to show this and I'm going to show that. You can resolve it any of a number of ways. It does not lessen the dramatic weight specifically of the film we're talking about, though, episode three in the least. All right. Okay, here's here's an interesting one. McGregor, Portman, and Christensen have all been brilliant elsewhere, but the bonds between their characters are all in the dialogue, never between the lines. And the less said about the lines themselves, the better. That's Keith Phillips from the AV Club. Good for Keith Phillips. I disagree with him. Okay. I, I And I frequently go back to a specific quote from Christopher Lee. I've cited this numerous times over the years. Christopher Lee was being asked, and I believe this was during episode two, where somebody was asking about the acting. Uh, because they were expecting, because, oh, you've been in so many films, and <laughs> episode two, and the acting method, and blah, blah, blah. And Christopher Lee specifically saying, I think people operate under a mistaken presumption. They think that method acting is the method. No, it's a method. He goes, Star Wars movies aren't about method acting. They're, they're not. He goes, neither were my Hammer films with Dracula. But that doesn't mean that they're invalid, or it's an invalid way to play the character for this circumstance. Now, I... I added on to the quote to, but that very first thing where he said, act, you know, method acting is a method, not the method is the specific quote that he had in the interview. And I agree with him. I think that people get hung up on this idea of the Robert De Niro school of acting or the Tom Hanks school of acting where, okay, I'm going to film one half of the movie normal and then I'm going to work with a dietitian to lose, you know, basically become barely functional or the machinist with Christian Bale. It's like, that's just not what these movies are about. It's not about being the machinist and it's not about being, you know, looking like you're starving to death on a desert Island. So whatever. Okay. Well then I guess that leads to uh, this, this quote from Joe Williams of the St. Louis dispatch who says, although the stiff theatrics are part of the design, they're no longer excusable. Speaks to the same point. He's looking. I I don't see. I don't. Well, well get he's that. saying that he's acknowledging what Christopher Lee is saying. Okay, but that it that doesn't make it any more effective. It still doesn't work, regardless of the intent. I don't know how else to explain it except that it does work, and I think that I honestly think that specifically Hayden Christensen, for all of the the crap that he has taken. I think he does a fine job in episode three. I don't get what people's problems are with his performance or Portman's performance or McGregor's performance in episode three. I don't. 
Well, I guess, and this is my my take on it, right? Like, and I have been someone who in the past has been like, that's the style, that's what they were going for, you know? And I do think that that is what they were going for and everything like that. I think a lot of it does have to do with, you know, sort of the thing which I think everyone, no matter how big of a fan of Lucas you are, you know, can agree on that, you know, sometimes his dialogue, not that good, right? But, like, it's it's actually seeing these new movies, like the 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 sequel trilogy and everything that have really sort of like nailed this down for me, which is like, there is a certain cadence and a certain style to the original trilogy, which I think is something which I really respond to as someone who thinks that empire strikes back is the best. One of the things which I always point to one of the reasons why I think it works so well is because of the pacing, particularly in the dialogue. I think that that script and that, you know, Lawrence Kasdan dialogue is outstanding and that is something which is it's missing from episode four it's also missing from you know the prequels and I think that that's a big reason why I I prefer episode five see here here's no but but see the thing is to speak specifically to that is I think what a lot of people have lost maybe people who are younger than me maybe people who have forgotten stuff through time what people have lost is that all of these criticisms you're throwing at, at revenge of the sith in specific return of the jedi was the redheaded stepchild the punching bag the the target practice for everybody before episode one showed up yeah and i never agreed with that by the way you know well, but, i would i would but put- see so you, know, you would find yourself in the exact same position of like, well, no, I think I think you're being a little bit harsh here. I don't think I don't I don't get that at all. So like it is it is something where it's a in a sense a nothing new under the sun sort of complaint about like Mark Hamill got pilloried on a regular basis for his portrayal of Luke Skywalker in Return of the Jedi. Repeatedly. Yeah, I don't- I mean, that's something that I don't agree with. I don't know. And maybe that goes to, to when I saw it and how I never really, you know, broke them up or whatever. Maybe it is because of the dialogue and everything like that. I mean, it's still a very funny movie and everything, but I don't know. I don't know. It's, but it's definitely a difference. It's definitely, definitely a, a stylistic it, yeah, difference. It is. It absolutely is. It's melodrama, you know, primarily in the prequels. It okay. loosens up by the time episode three comes up because the the nature of the world is evolving and changing toward the episode four that we get. And if you take actual dialogue from Vader, right, actual word structure and and words and vocabulary and those sorts of things, it pretty much lines up with the way Hayden Christensen is is speaking in episode three and uh, Ewan McGregor as well. I think the key difference is that we're used to hearing James Earl Jones say these more formalized bits of speech. And when James Earl Jones, you know, it's, I'm reminded of the David Letterman sketch, you know, the, the, his top 10 list is like top 10 things that sound better when James Earl Jones says them, you know, and he's like Oprah, Boutros, Boutros, Gali, you know, and it's like you put those words in other people's mouths. It doesn't sound like James Earl Jones. Maybe that's, that's the thing to consider though, when you're writing dialogue is, person who's delivering them maybe just maybe people need to consider that this 
I mean, this is the thing that bends my mind is people have arrived at their conclusions. I can sit here and I can say, no, it fits. This way this performance fits works. This is, you know, a silent film, you know, you could play with just the soundtrack. You could do this. You could do that. No matter what I say, it's a brick wall that my waves are falling upon. Maybe, just maybe, every so often, and it has happened, I get through that wall and there's a little crack and somebody somebody sees what I'm going for. Cool. But I, I, I like, it's an entrenched thing, I think, by this point. Okay. I have one more question, which I, because this is something which I find fascinating, you know, and, and, I, and I honestly don't know the answer to this, okay? I have assumptions, but I could be completely wrong. Okay, I'm going to I'm going to okay. preface it by yeah. saying this. Yeah. Go ahead. But one of the things which people really responded to with this movie, including myself, is the idea that, you know, George Lucas with his particular political leanings made very much a, a commentary on Bush era politics. I would say it's the strongest thing in the movie, to be honest. And I'm curious as to whether or not that is something which you also respond to or or what? I'm curious. Oh, so much like the episode eight discussion, it becomes uh, only Trump supporters dislike this movie or something like that? Well, no, I'm not saying Because, that. because I've seen that claim leveled okay. uh, at people. Only, um, like, only Trump supporters like it or don't like it? Dislike it. Di- okay. I, I have read in an article <laughs> that only Trump supporters dislike episode eight, which was news to me and a lot of other people. Okay. Um, well, no, I don't think that that's true for this at all. But okay, well, I'm great. curious about it because it was obviously something which was brought up a lot at the time. I mean, you go back and sure. look at reviews, like every review talks about it. Yeah, and I, I think that there is more than a little case of people uh, grafting stuff onto that. I know Lucas's like real-world political leanings very well. He grew up in the hippie generation and stuff like that, and... You know, Star Wars was a response to Watergate and hopelessness and all of those sorts of things. I know all of that stuff, you know, and, you know, oh, it's Vietnam, you know, the 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 Ewoks are the VC and the Imperials are the Americans. It's like, well, OK, that's that's a little weird, but all right. <laughs> but at the same time, he doesn't do it in such an over the top way that that it becomes inaccessible to anybody that might disagree with him about the particulars of anything but agree with the larger notion. I think that one of the big problems, especially with political discussion, is that people are, and I'm cribbing this from another person, but people are obsessed with the idea that they're living in important times. And so the fall of a republic has happened repeatedly through, through, uh, you know, through history. You know, you can go back to read Plutarch, where he proposes his ideal government is it's one part republic one part benevolent dictatorship and one part oligarchy right and the american structure is set up to try to respond to that because you have the house as the as the voice of the people and you have the senate as the more oligarchical because you were supposed when it was originally written you were supposed to get elected by the state legislatures and then you have the benevolent dictator of the president who can be overthrown by bloodless revolution every four years okay so you can take that and you can say if you don't like what's happening at a specific time in history or a specific time in history that you're living in you can graft that onto 
episode three. And you can say, oh, see, that's that's the political guy I dislike. That's who that is. And so I think that it comes out at a time where that starts to become a heightened thing. You could, if you wanted to, graft a political message onto anything. Do I think Lucas didn't include that? No, not necessarily. He was always very open about his political views. That's fine. But the minute you pigeonhole yourself in a film to being only accessible by a specific view, especially a fantasy sort of thing, and not letting people who might disagree on particulars to get into the same lesson to start the dialogue and the thinking process, I think that cripples the movie. So to, to like, I've always rejected the idea that this is a specific criticism of only Bush era politics, and it's more a general criticism of how a republic falls. And if you see that in a specific politician's mannerisms or policies, then yeah, you can see that in this perfectly fine. So that would be my answer to that. I mean, he has says like I've read inter- like interviews with him where people have brought that up, and he's like. Uh, you know, when I originally came up with the idea, it was actually supposed to be about Nixon, but, you know, mm-hmm. so, I mean, he, and he was, you know, sort of basically saying the same thing that you are, which is like, you know, this is about a thing which happens again mm-hmm. and again and again, not just one specific thing. Right. But I think regardless of that, he is still saying something which does apply rather directly to well, the times that we were living in back then, you know? If it came out in 2008, would you say the same thing? I don't know. I'd have to I'd have to read if it If it again. came out in 2012, would you say the same thing? I don't know. I, I'd have to... I, I, I'd really have to read it again. But the fact that he's got, like... I mean, like, literally, he was, like, pulling quotes from politicians and sticking them in the movie. You know what I mean? I, I can't believe that it isn't... I can't believe that it's just coincidental, you know? I'm absolutely sure that there are specific things that that can be, uh, you know, attributed to... I mean, for Pete's sake, he named a character in episode one Lot Dodd, which was the last names of two senators. Mm-hmm. Um, and, uh, you know, and, and the thing is, the last names crossed the aisle. They were bipartisan. So there was a little bit of cynicism on his part there. Mm-hmm. But... Um, it's not so specific that I can't show it to my kids and say, do you see what he's saying about, you know, the faith in government and, you know, the, the necessary balance of power and those sorts of things, you know, like it's, I'm not, I, I don't have to sit down with my kids and say, well, here's a movie about the Bush era. <laughs> well, no, this no, is, I, I'm, this is a generally applicable sort of thing. And, and I think you, he's you know intentionally making it universal for sure. Yes. Because he knows that this movie is going to live on forever. Right. Right. But yes. So it, so if he, if he is making a specific thing and I'm not saying he isn't, I mean, I remember him going on Colbert and reworking a clip so that uh, Jar Jar said Darth W Vader. Mm-hmm. Right. And getting a big laugh out of the audience and stuff like that. Like, okay, that's cool. Okay, all right, that's cool. All right. So, I mean, like, do I pass the political acid test now that I'm that I'm cool with it? Am I still allowed to like like films and and movies and stuff like that? 
<laughs> well, I it's something that I, I'm I was genuinely curious about because I know like my own biases and stuff like that, and there are times where like there are things, you know, I mean, if we're going to go with something from the same era. There are, are you know. I mean, 20, 24 comes to mind, you know, mm-hmm. where I watch 24 and I think like, this is amazing. This is extremely well done. And yet at the same time, I'm conflicted with it morally, I guess, because like the message of the show, which by the way, primarily, I mean, like the the, the showrunners, whatever, were, you know, rather um, conservative, but the people actually like, doing the day-to-day stuff were liberal. Anyway, it doesn't matter. The point is, when I watch it, as much as I, I, I love it and appreciate it, you know, as like a TV show, there is part of me which is just kind of like, I really disagree with everything that they're saying, you know? And there is that conflict in me, much like Anakin, you know? <laughs> and, so so you, were trying to, you were trying to find out if I voted for Bush by asking that question? No. And, and honestly, okay. I don't think, I mean, the way that you play things like close to the vest, you know, even off mic, like, I honestly don't think I will ever know who you voted for in any election. Which and is cool. that's on purpose. It's and not. That's, that's perfectly fine. Yeah. That's perfectly fine. I'm not asking you about that. What I'm asking is, just, I mean, like, because I've experienced this with other pieces of art, which I've loved, you know, where, mm-hmm. like, it doesn't even have to be political, necessarily, but, you know, like, the message of the, the movie, you know, I mean, we, we, I've, there's, there's a lot of things. The message of the movie is, like, a, a, a conflict for me with, with my personal beliefs and whether or not that influences your... I mean, because it seems like, you know... Uh, that there, and I don't know if there is, but it seems like there may be a conflict there, and I'm wondering if that's something that bothers you when you're watching the movie. I, I honestly think the best way I can answer this is uh, with a movie that came out three years later, The Dark Knight, or four years later, um, where it asks a lot of hard questions about whether you support a surveillance state mm-hmm. or. An unelected official listening to, you know, like all the NSA stuff coming top of mind and stuff like that, you know, and hey, NDAA constantly renewed since 2012. Yay. Um, But like the the entire thing. Functions universally and asks questions, but I know plenty of people who grafted on a very uh, pro George W. Bush read on the Dark Knight and they pitched it to me. And I said, okay, all right, sure, I can see that. Yeah, I, I can see what you're. I can see what you're saying there. I doesn't mean I agree with it, but I. All right, that's your read of it. Cool. Now let's talk about the universal themes. I with film, I'm always aware of when somebody's making a specific political comment about something, but I am much more likely to not care that it's in there. If it's more concerned with asking the question at the root of why they might like or dislike somebody, as opposed to it being a specific criticism that roots it to a specific issue in a specific time. Because that means that the film will not age well and will not move forward. And so 
if they do that, then I will go back and watch the film 10 years later. And I'll be like, oh, yeah, this was this had to do with Bush. OK, you know, like and it 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 lessens it for me. OK. All right. Uh, it was it was something that I've been I mean, that's that's a question which I've legitimately had for a long time, you know, and find it interesting. That's it. Yeah. Yeah, I, I do, too. I mean, I, you know, I'm not saying it's not there. I'm just saying that it's done the right way, which okay. is universally. It asks the bigger question than about the specific person. And that definitely, I mean, seems to be like something that he's interested in, too. You know, that sort of take. I mean, you hear, I mean, I remember it was probably at the time where they were like, you know, what TV shows do you watch? And he's like, Rome is the best show on TV. It's amazing. And it sucks that they it got canceled after two seasons because they were just about to get into the good stuff, you know, and, and everything like that. So, you know, I mean, yes. I think that he's definitely a student of history and that, you know, oh, for sure. He is trying to. I mean, also, you know, who knows when he wrote this thing or whatever, but, you know, whatever. But yeah, it's it's interesting. It's just interesting. That's it. Yeah, it sure is. All right. Okay. Well, so, you know, after our discussion, is your love for episode three uh, even stronger than it was before? I think I'm going to have to go watch it again. Actually, talking about it makes me want to go watch it. <laughs> okay. So, all right. And and yes, for the record, even though you never asked about him, I love Grievous, and I I think he's a wonderful villain. I find him delightful. Okay. Cool. So there you go. Just to answer that one, even though it wasn't asked. So cool. All right. But uh, Mike, if people want to uh, commiserate with you online and say John's insane, <laughs> I can't believe he's saying these things. This is just wrong. Where can they find you? Uh, well, you can find me on Twitter at Mumbles3K. And you can also find me on my website, CommentaryTrackStars.com, where I do a show called Commentary Track Stars. And you can find me on Trek.fm doing a show called The Edge and another show called Stage 9 with you. That's right. We do Stage 9. And right now we are in the throes of uh, Q-Trek, as you call it. Quentin mm. Tarantino love for his uh, hopeful Star Trek film that's coming on down the pike for us. And uh, you can find me back here on the Nerd Party, co-hosting Aggressive Negotiations with Matthew Rushing. And, of course, I am co-hosting Words with Nerds with my pal Craig. And if you want to find me online and uh, yell at me, I've spent nearly two decades being belittled, besieged, and besotted for my views on the prequel trilogy. So uh, just go ahead and find me at Kessel Junkie. So uh, thank you very much for joining us uh, this week on Great Shot Kid. And uh, Brandon, don't forget to get some milk. Join the revolution. Join the nerd party.